0: So, Church Metaphors, we're in part four of Church Metaphors. And to get started, um, I just want to speak a few moments about the French. Okay? Um, in, in, I, I have this idea about languages. Um, There's certain languages that you would want to use for certain types of things in your life. For instance, um, I took Spanish in high school... Because I thought when I got angry, I could really use that language. But think about it. I mean, it's just great. It's just, just old at all. Not making fun, this isn't racist, it's just a fact. When they get angry, it is awesome the way that they do things. French was for romance, right? Because of the who the you know that that sort of deal, you know, and I can't even do it. But you know, kind of romance. Oh, I love you very much. Peppy Le Pew, woo hoo hoo, I stink, but you don't, you know, that that sort of that sort of deal. I just thought I thought that would be that would be awesome. Well, if you if you think about French um, long enough, you you also realize that if you were ever in a war, you wouldn't necessarily want them to be your ally. For instance, um, Here's, it's just not me saying this. There, there's some people that say this. Like Patton says, I would rather have a German division in front of me than a French one behind me. So he said. Um, the next one is, going to war without France is like going to deer hunting without your accordion. <laughs> That's the Secretary of Defense, Rumsfeld. Yeah. The next one is this one. We can stand here like the French or we can do something about it. Which is... Marge Simpson so to, so to kind of continue this French retreat thing I would like to call up um, Seth he's going to help me uh, with this and I'm going to ask Seth a couple of questions uh, about, about the French oh boy okay alright you ready? I don't know okay here we go what do you call a French man killed defending his country? I don't know correct how can you tell the difference between a French civilian and a French military person I don't know the military person has their hands up (laughs) how do you hack (laughs) sorry how do you hack into the French military's computer system
1: through the Russians I mean I don't know
0: (laughs) that's that's (laughs) funny no you just ask for the password and they'll give it to you they'll <laughs> surrender it how many gears does a french tank have
1: how many what how gears many gears, gears. one I'm... well it's five Okay.
0: one forward five reverse four reverse <laughs> sorry four in reverse yeah. here's the last one then you can go sit back down okay. you ready why doesn't MasterCard and Visa work well in France? In France. Why doesn't MasterCard and Visa work well in France? I'm not very
1: good at these. I have no
0: idea. They can't charge. Ah! Uh. <laughs> you can have to give him a hand. Again, right? <laughs> Now, that's funny. That's funny with French people. But what I've, what I've come to realize in some instances is that Christians often retreat just like the French do. The metaphor for today is the church is an army. It's an army of soldiers. And we are supposed to be on the move for the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes we think that we need to retreat and kind of suppress our beliefs and not speak out or not share the gospel or not go forward for the Lord Jesus Christ for some reason, that our minds come up with. Whether we're scared to share, or we're scared to live it, or we're scared to do this. And we often find ourselves retreating, or Christians find themselves retreating, in situations where really they should stand and go forward. We are the army of the Lord. Now let me show you a couple of verses, okay? First of all, this one is found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the second half of it. Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On this rock, I will build my church. First of all, Jesus is the one that builds the church. No one else does. Jesus builds it. We are just privileged enough to be a part of that process. We, we are, he has given us a job to do to witness to people. They become part of the church. They join. We meet together. We get to do things. But at the end of the day, it's not Philip that builds the church. It's not you that builds the church. It's Jesus that builds the church. And it's upon this rock that he's going to build the church. Notice the next part of that verse, the the second part of that verse, the other one. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now this is interesting, the gates of hell. Because I've I don't think many people think of it in terms of the church is outside the gates of hell. We're already there. The gates of hell have already retreated behind their gates. Are, are you tracking with me? The church has already been on the move because Jesus Christ said he was going to build his church and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Not hell's forces. The gates of hell. Not that they are attacking us in offense, but we are already at their gates saying, We are here, we have the victory, your gates are going to fall because Jesus Christ has already won the war. Come on, church. The gates of hell will not stand against the church. We are already in the land of glory. We are already victorious in where we stand. We have already won the war, and we're pressing against those gates, and they will not be able to stand against the church. That's awesome. That's awesome. Here's another verse I want you to consider. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-4 through 4 says this, For we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The, the power to destroy strongholds. Now, that last phrase is, is, is interesting. Strongholds. Immediately, you begin to think of like a wall and a fortress, and people behind that wall. But strongholds here in this verse back then wasn't a wall. Actually, a stronghold was the place that you went to to hide after your wall had fallen. I don't know if you, you like the Lord of Rings. I don't know if you, you, what, you, what you think about it. I really don't care for this sermon illustration anyway, but this is Helm's Deep, and what happens in that movie, spoiler alert, is that the walls do fall, and the, and the forces fall back to their stronghold, and they hide there, and they're waiting for their last stand. What this verse is saying is, go back to that verse, is that We don't have weapons according to the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. In other words, our enemy's walls have already fallen down, and he is hiding and making his last stand. His forces are down, and he's making his last stand. He is hiding in his strongholds, and he's trying to keep that, and that is all he has left. He has no land he has no space. All he has is the little strongholds left because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only strongholds. So why in the world does it seem like he's so powerful? Because when someone's going, about to die, when someone's about to lose, that is when they fight the hardest. He is, he is, he's got his groups in the stronghold and he's, he's putting all his power out that he can towards you. And he'll do anything that he can to make you feel defeated. And when you go up against a stronghold, the problem is you don't know where the enemy's hiding in those strongholds, but those strongholds are going to fall. So he is giving his last ditch effort to try to defeat God and the church, and he's just not going to win. He is cowered back in his stronghold. You see, this, this is counterintuitive to how we think the world is, isn't it? Because we look around at the world and we see all this evil. We, we see all the, this stuff happening on the news. We see all this stuff happening throughout the world, and we're like, what ground does the church have? If you look at this verse, it says, For we walk not in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power. In other words, the ground that we have is spiritual, not physical. spiritual. And at the end of the day, we want the spiritual ground. We do not want this physical ground here on this earth. The Bible says that this is going away and is going to be taken totally away and totally destroyed. I do not want to be a part of that death. I want to be a part of the spiritual realm, the spiritual land that has already overtaken it, and we're heading somewhere else, somewhere better, somewhere perfect, somewhere where God and King Jesus is in control. So this earth is wasting away, it is dying. It is dying. Look, there are some gorgeous places on this planet. Gorgeous places. I haven't been to some of them, and I have been to some of them, if you know what I mean, right? And I've seen them. But what I notice is during the fall, and no matter where you go in this world, there's always some sort of death happening to that beautiful landscape. You can see a gorgeous landscape, and then there's a dead tree. And you think this. Why haven't they cut that dead tree down so that this would be beautiful, right? Or how many of you now have no green in your lawn at all because it's been weeds all summer? Just me? Just me? Thank you, thank you. I have a witness over here, great. Right now, I have the grass that I planted in January... Growing in my yard. And all the weeds have decided to die. So my yard is kind of like a. It's, there's some death in the yard. Let's just put it that way. There's some death there. Everywhere you look in this world. There is death. There is decay. Time is running out. I don't want the land here. This earth is maybe the stronghold. Right? That is dying out. That is going to pass away and God's kingdom is going to come and it's going to all be made right. We have defined power to destroy strongholds. This is why this is important. There's some of you in this room that think that your sin has a stronghold on you. And I'm here to tell you today, no. It doesn't. It feels like it, but it doesn't. Jesus Christ has already given you the victory To where that stronghold shouldn't be more powerful than the God that saved you. In fact, it isn't more powerful than the God that saved you. You already have the victory. That stronghold is already in retreat. Well, why does it feel like it's still in control of me? Because it's making its last stand. And you need to stamp it out with the power of Jesus Christ in his blood. That's what you need to do. And grab a hold of that truth. Now, this verse also says, For we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy. So let's talk about those weapons a few moments. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Um... For the past, like, year and a half, when he has been able to preach, um, Seth has actually been working on the armor of God, so today I asked him to come up and kind of help me with this portion of the message, so Seth, Seth, come on up, and, um, so, so here we are. It's Ephesians 6. Ephesians, <laughs> I almost fell for that. That was like right there. In fact, you could make the case that I did fall for it. You could make a case for that. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. There is is a verse in Romans chapter 13 verse 12 that says this. It says to put on the armor of light. That armor of light is the same armor that Paul is talking about here. And it's the armor of light. Why is that so important to remember that the armor that we're putting on is the armor of light. So to kind of illustrate why it's so important, um, I have an LED spotlight right here. And um, I'm going to plug it in. And I just want your your face to come very close. No, you're going to have to bend down. Come very close. Just stare right into it. Don't worry. you'll You'll only see spots for a while. You ready? Uh, I hope so. Are you Okay, this is the moment you really don't have to do what I'm telling you to do.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to.
0: Why, why are you not sure that you want to?
1: Well, I mean, if it's going to be light coming out. Do you have problems with migraines? No.
0: Good, then you'll be just fine. Okay. <laughs>
1: And you, just, you just want me to look at the light Just look at the light, okay. just straight into it Straight into it Are
0: All you right. really going to do this?
1: You are my boss, I mean <laughs>
0: It didn't, oh look at that
1: You ready? Yeah Are you? Uh, Maybe
0: Okay It's difficult isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's pretty bright
0: Why is that? Why are you shrinking back?
1: because it's really bright.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really bright. Why, why are you shrinking back?
1: Okay, do I, do I
0: have to do this? <laughs> Look, the reason that it's so significant that it's the armor of light is because darkness can't stand against it. Darkness can't stand against it. If you put on the armor of light and you're walking, oh my goodness, and you're walking around, <laughs> and you're walking around, it's... Darkness and everything will shrink back. I guarantee you that if I had not told him and just told him to shut his eyes and open them and the light was like on his face, he would have immediately went back because the light was so bright. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the armor that we put on is an armor of light and it's the light of God and the forces of evil cannot stand against that light. It can't. And every time you have the armor on, and every time you are wearing it, and every time you are living it, is moments in your life where you are living victorious for the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gates of hell can't stand against you, and darkness can't stand against you, and you gain ground for the kingdom. You can't help but gain ground in your life for the kingdom when the whole armor of light is on. The problem is, we don't like to wear the armor, right? That's the problem. The problem is we don't often put on the armor during our day and we don't shine like we're supposed to, so we don't use that light. So let me ask you a question about the light Whose light is it? It's God's. If you try to shine on your own, you will not shine at all. You know what I think is interesting? I think, I think it's interesting that darkness, evil, darkness, tries to fix things with other dark tactics. For instance, this isn't a political statement, just trying to give you an illustration. If someone doesn't agree with what's going on in the government, they get violent. Does that not strike anybody kind of odd? we're going to attack this person and hurt this person because we don't like this over here, so we're going to respond with violence. It's not light, it's more darkness. So what happens in the country when that happens is the country gets darker and darker and darker and darker and darker, and things get worse and worse and worse and more destructive and more destructive and more destructive to the point where they really destroy themselves. I believe that people would eat each other if they could. But light is different. When light shines, darkness retreats immediately. It cannot stand in front of that light. And when you put on the armor of light, darkness has to flee. And God's glory is emanated through your life. So let's continue to read this passage. It says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So when you were preaching about the belt of truth, what, what, did, you, what did you say about that?
1: The belt of truth, it, it holds us together. Um, it holds us together knowing and believing and living what is true.
0: Okay, so what is true? So if, if we were looking for truth, Seth, because you know, there's a lot of you know, what is truth, what's the definition of truth, what truth are you specifically talking about when you say that?
1: It's God's truth. It's God's truth. It's God's truth. There's a lot of truths out there that look like they're truths, but there's only one true truth. Yeah. True. True.
0: And so where do we, like, do I sit and pray and try to come up with that truth and get God to tell me, or is there a place I can,
1: I find it? He has already told you in his word.
0: Yeah. So we already have it. Yep. All right. So the belt that you have is not your belt. It's given to you by God. It's the truth of God. In other words, when I proclaim stuff like adultery is a sin, Philip didn't make that up. God proclaimed it. Okay? Love one another is not something that I have just made up. It is something that comes directly from the word. It is a truth. It is what you use as a belt around yourself. There are other passages of scripture that talk about a belt that you can have as a believer. In Isaiah, he says that righteousness is a belt. So the belt of truth itself will make you live righteously. Because you cannot proclaim the truth and live the truth without being righteous. There's no way. There's no way you can detach those two things. Isaiah also says faithfulness is the belt around his waist. So it's not only truth and righteousness, but it's faithfulness to that truth. It is faithfulness in your own life that says, hey, God said this, I'm going to live it. God said this, this is a belt that's going to be around me. I'm going to keep it on myself. I'm going to be faithful to the word of God and what it says, and I'm going to live that in my life. It all comes from him. We don't come up with this belt. Okay? So, the next is, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What did you, when you preached about that, what was your main the, point about that?
1: The breastplate, and you think about the Roman soldier. That was the whole point of this, the metaphor that Paul's using. Is the, the breastplate protects the vital organs of the soldier. And we think of that in a spiritual sense. It protects our heart. And it protects us from doing what's wrong. It's living righteously. It protects us from the evil temptations that will come in to tempt us to do what's wrong.
0: Right. So, so again, that breastplate is not your breastplate. It's given to you by God. And it protects your vital organs. I have no righteousness within myself. None. Romans would say that filthy rags right here. The righteousness that you see is not my own righteousness. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ in the breastplate that he has given me. So at the moment that I'm tempted is the moment that I reach out and I grab a hold of Jesus's righteousness. And I live that. Because I cannot live righteousness in my own flesh. I will always err when I try to be righteous myself. I will not err when I reach out and grab Jesus' righteousness. So how do you do, th- I mean, how, how do you reach out and you grab that? Well, not to be like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but it is really, would Jesus be caught doing this? Would, would Jesus act this way toward this person? Would Jesus say these things toward this person? That is the moment that you are taking the righteousness and saying, hey, I need to emulate what Jesus would do, not what behind the breastplate of righteousness would do. This fallen nature. I am righteous because Jesus has proclaimed me righteous through his blood. Not any merit of my own or any ability of my own. I say, hey, would Jesus act that way? And if he wouldn't, you don't do it. And you grab a hold of that breastplate and you keep it on and you don't take it off the moment you take it off is the moment that you err. there's another couple other places breastplate is used in first Thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 8 it talks about a breastplate of love and a breastplate of faith breastplate of love and faith you see God's righteousness isn't something that we take the breastplate off and we hit people with it you are doing it wrong you're not really doing it wrong you're really great yeah, that's my buddy. You are doing it wrong. You don't hit people with, with the righteous breastplate. Have you ever met those Christians? And they're like, oh, "You're wrong." <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not. That's not it. That's not it. It is. It is love righteousness, love, and what you realize is that whatever that person is doing, you could do yourself because inside behind that breastplate, you are just as fallen as they are. And it's the breastplate of righteousness that's been given to you by Jesus Christ that makes you good at all. Does that make sense? And anyway, so that breastplate is like, you know, "Mm, it's not yours. It's, It's just there. So verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What did you say about the...
1: Yeah, when we wear the shoes, it's, it's readiness, it's preparedness to stand firm, to move forward and bring the good news, the gospel, to this world. Yeah.
0: What I think is funny about that translation is they use shoes. Yeah. It's really sandals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's not really sandals. It's, it's a... Um, and I, I know you described this... I listened to your sermon, critiqued it, and then we talked no i 'm just, just kidding I just listened to it. It was a great sermon but the, um, but it has spikes in it, so you can stand and you can actually move forward, so those, so they dig into the dirt and you can you can progress um, with these gospels and it 's the gospel of peace. Why do you think when because it 's kind of weird to have this motion going on and you're trying to gain peace why do you think we have to have spikes on the bottom of the shoes in order for peace to spread throughout the world why do
1: you yes it has to do with the foundation um you know if you don't have your firm foundation you don't have those spikes in your shoes you're going to slip back you're going to slip backwards and that's usually the shoes that a lot of people will, will wear Right. Um, but it helps you to stand firm and to move forward in the, the motion that we're supposed to go in.
0: Yeah, it's good. These, these shoes never give out. They never give out. Um, they're always firm because they're not your shoes. They're given to you by God. They're shoes of light. So, that's that. Next, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flames and darts of the evil one what did you say about that one
1: yeah our shield it it protects us when we're going through those trials when we're going through those times that satan is throwing those darts at us um, we we can trust god to get us through those trials trust god that he is going to um, he's going to do what he says he's going to do and he's going to, we can have that faith in him. Because we know he is who he is. and He's strong.
0: Yeah. So here, here's the trick. There is a sense in which, as he just said, that we have to have faith in the shield. But the shield of faith, the faith that's there, isn't our faith. Mind-boggling concept. It's actually God's faith. We put faith in that shield when we raise it. But that's not what causes that shield to work. It's God's faith in that shield. For instance, um, Paul was using other verses of scripture when he was doing that shield thing. Um, Let me, with my eyes, try to find where that is. Okay, I'm just going to have to do it by memory. Um, Proverbs chapter 30. It's in there, probably fifth verse. There's a couple of psalms that, um, that David says... God, you are a shield about me, an ever-present help in a time of trouble. That shield is there. It's all God. And he is faithful to protect you from whatever it is. The reason the fiery darts cannot stand against that shield is because they're not more powerful than God. They're not more powerful than his protection. They're not more powerful than who he is is so there's a shield about him so let's go to the next one it's the helmet of salvation right yeah yeah so what did you say about that
1: yeah with our helmet we we got our our mind and we re, we remember the salvation that christ gave us yeah. and and we when we're going through those times and we we feel like there's doubts in our heart we remember that he saved us and he's the one who gave us that salvation
0: right your your mind and some of you don't have this problem but some of us do from time to time. Your mind from time to time will make you wonder if you're really saved at all. Okay? Will make you wonder that. There are certain sins that we fall into from time to time. And we know that those sins make us not, it's not the Christian way to live, it wasn't the righteous way to live. Are Are you following me? Those sins, I know you don't want to shake your head because you, you don't want any Baptist to know that, right? Don't let Baptist know that. But there are certain times that you have done something wrong and you think, man, I cannot really be saved and continue to do this. That is when you grab a hold of that helmet of salvation that is permanent and you say, no. I have the helmet of salvation because I've asked forgiveness of my sins and I've asked Jesus to be my Savior. I have that helmet. It is mine. My mind is not perfect yet, but it will be one day. And my flesh is not perfect yet, but one day I will have a new body and that body will be perfect. But I still have the helmet and I will always have the helmet because I did not create the helmet. It was given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you tracking? So anytime you doubt, you remember the helmet of salvation and you put it on and you remember that you are saved. That was, that, was, that was good. And then last, what's the last one? The sword of the spirit?
1: Sword of the spirit.
0: What did you do for that?
1: It's the word of God. Um, it was interesting is that this is in this passage specifically, this is the only weapon that Paul describes that we have in, in this whole armor piece. Um, this is what we we slay. We slay Satan with. This is what we do battle with. This is how we battle sin. Is we use the Word of God that He's given us, His truth.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a passage of Scripture in Second Corinthians chapter six, verse seven that says we have two other weapons of righteousness that we hold in each one of our hands. So. Not only do we have a shield that we hold and a, and a sword, right? Like you're saying. Yep. But we also have something else that we hold in our hands. Another weapon. Um, I've, I've given a lot of thought to this because it doesn't tell you in the Bible what, what that weapon is. So, being creative, I've come up with my own two weapons. Okay? So this is this is Philip. Philip alone. The two weapons that I think I have is a hammer and a nail. And when those sins happen, I remind myself that those sins were nailed on the cross of Calvary and taken care of, and I can still be forgiven. So I hammer them in as a weapon in that remembrance, and then drop them Pick up my sword and pick up my shield and move forward. If you ever feel like you failed, if you ever feel like, man, I don't have salvation, I haven't acted righteously, I haven't done this. Two weapons. Hammer, hammer, nail. I am left-handed. And you do like that. Alright? It's two weapons. There's not a greater weapon than forgiveness. Forgiveness in my estimation, when you're down and lonely. It's not a greater thing to say to Satan to say, hey, you're making me feel guilty about this, but I'm already forgiven. Sorry, have been nailed to the cross. Get out of my brain. Get out of my life. Go somewhere else. Get rid of all of that. So that is, is what it is. So, this passage has a sense of urgency, doesn't it? It does. Doesn't it? It does. So this week, um, Seth and I were here at the church because this is where we work. And um, oh, by the way, Seth has just moved into his house. Did you know that? Right? Yeah. You can give him a hand. Yeah.
1: We're finally there.
0: So we can now say that um, two out of three staff people live in Yakin County.
1: <laughs> That's true.
0: Yeah, it is true, it's isn't true. it? So this week we were at the church and we were alone. I was, I was in my office and he was in his and I had to go see him. So as I was walking down this hallway, um, I heard voices. And so I just assumed that he was listening to somebody, you know, preach on, on the system upstairs and it was just loud or maybe it was a commercial during Pandora. I don't know. It, it just sounded like voices. So I walked up the stairs really expecting him to be listening to music or listening to some announcer or something like that going up the stairs. Well, when I got up there, he wasn't listening to anything. So the voices I heard were either, I'm imagining them in my head, right? Or they somehow were in the church. There were people in the church somewhere. So I told him that story and I said, we need to just look through the church just to see if there's somebody here. And, and all that kind of stuff. So we, so we went through the church and, and we started looking, you know, for these people. Well, while we were going down the steps, I said, um, Seth, you, you are carrying today, right? <laughs> and his answer was, no. I was carrying, but he wasn't. So it's at that moment I thought, well, he's going to be a lot of help. <laughs> Right, so this is what happened from that point on. I would make him go into the room first, (laughs) and I'm back up, right? I didn't have it drawn, but I'm just giving you a little thing. So he goes in first, and then you know I'll I'll take care of business if anybody was in there, right? Really do. But but what that did was in that moment, and I'm not, you know, you knew I was going to do this. Is it made the attack team a little weaker didn't it because you didn't have your weapon
1: with you i was useless
0: you were absolutely useless (laughs) except for as a you know as a shield of seth right it's a shield of seth here's the point every day that you wake up and you decide not to put on the armor of light is a day that you weaken the army of the church Every day that you decide not to put on the breastplate of righteousness is a day that you weaken the forward progression of the church. Now, is the church going to succeed because of Jesus Christ? Yes. But can you wake up one day and cause a bad light to be placed on the church? Yes. In a skinny moment. This is this is a great reminder for me, and actually Seth, too, we've, we've talked about this. There's, there's been... Um, recently in, in our area, two pastors who have not acted correctly and they've had to step down from their pulpit. It, it was days that they woke up that they decided not to put on the armor. And so Satan was able to tempt them and they were led down an incorrect road. And so because of that road, they had to resign because there's certain things that a pastor can't do and keep th- doing this it's biblical that way so i have to make sure and seth has to make sure that we protect ourselves and that we're always wearing the armor because that weakens the church because what happens is that people outside that don't know jesus begin to say well look they're they're doing this stuff that pastor did this they're doing that they're doing that and it's not a good witness for the, the church are you with me However, that is not just a pastor. It's more impactive when it's a pastor. It hurts you when it's a pastor. Because you expect a higher level of living from your pastor. I would submit to you today that you should really expect that same level of living for yourself. And every day that you do not expect that same level of living for yourself is a day that you're not putting on the armor And fighting for God and progressing forward and doing benefit for what Jesus is trying to do in the world. It's not just me. It's not just Seth. It's you that has to put on the armor and has to be ready to go into the world. You see people I will never see. You're able to talk to people I may never be able to talk to. You might be the only soldier that confronts them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and gives them that chance to accept him, It is a huge responsibility. And if you're not living it, they're not going to be apt to connect with it. Right? Are you tracking? You put on your armor. So let's give Seth a hand. Thanks. I'm going to end, and this is real quick, I'm going to end with, with a couple of things. An army is supposed to be in unity. It's supposed to be in unity. Sometimes an army has too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Sometimes it is. That's the way it is. I wanted to submit to you this morning that Jesus is our chief and we are all his Indians. That's what I want to submit to you this morning. That is what keeps us in unity. Not a bunch of different human leaders. That's not what keeps us in unity focus on Christ, our commander-in-chief, is what keeps us in unity. Here's the second thing. Sometimes, people do not take their Christian life seriously. They only play with it. They don't take it seriously. We need to take the Christian life and living for Jesus seriously. And then finally, sometimes you don't wear the armor because you just don't feel like putting it up on during the day because it's so much easier to sin come on it is so much, it is so much easier to sin it is less trouble to sin it is it is easier to to not put it on it's easier to go down the, the the dark road rather than the light road it's just so much easier and I submit to you this morning don't take the easy road that only leads to destruction. Take the hard road. Take the, the stuff that God has given you to wear and wear it and shine for him.
1: Amen? Amen. So let's pray.
0: Heavenly Father we thank-